Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, I've cooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye-opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Jenna Chieko. Jenna is a life and executive coach. She's got a background in psychology and law and politics. She worked in the Obama administration um, and has worked um, with tech companies all over the place. So she's extremely well connected and, and doing amazing work out there. And now she's helping all of us achieve our dreams. She's also a survivor of chronic Lyme. So we're going to talk about that today. Jenna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's such a pleasure having you on. Um, Those who have been tuning into the show may have heard um, you in connection to some of the episodes previous to this because I've been working with you as a coach and um, it's been an amazing experience. But it's fascinating to me because you've gone through this health journey that changed your career and, and the trajectory of your life, really. So we're going to talk about that today. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Why don't you tell us, like, let's go back to the beginning of this health journey. Can you tell us when you first realized that you had Lyme and what steps you've taken since that point to get to this place of health and being free of it? Yes. Um, Well, so I grew up in a suburb of New York City in Westchester and my sisters and I ran around barefoot in the summer. We played in nature. There wasn't much of an awareness of Lyme disease in the early 80s. It was actually only linked with the tick and the bacteria in 1981, I believe. So mm-hmm. we were kind of running free and ignorant in, the, in nature. And um, the thinking is that I was probably infected as a child and it laid dormant or the symptoms weren't noticeable. And When I was a senior in high school, I started to suffer from a number of symptoms linked to Lyme disease. I was tested for it. It was an elaborate process to get the diagnosis. Um, Mm. Unfortunately, something like a third of all cases aren't detected 
through standard testing and back then there just wasn't a lot of resources. So I got the diagnosis through a Western blot test and well, I that's started lucky for a start because a lot of them yes, get false negatives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, when I think back on my childhood, it was just part of the experience to pick ticks off of us. I played soccer year round. I'd play a game and come off the field and have ticks. And I remember someone coming into school and doing like an assembly mm-hmm. around Lyme disease. And it just seems so abstract. And it, we didn't appreciate the severity of it. And we, it was hard to comprehend that an insect the size of a needle head could cause such serious issues. Yeah. Um, so fast forward to my senior year of high school, suffered some neurological, they call it brain fog. I was having trouble concentrating in school. I was dealing with just um, massive fatigue, like mm-hmm. couldn't get out of bed. And I was fortunate to see a doctor who believed in treating the symptoms more than doing a quick round. And so we did the initial six weeks of antibiotics and my situation didn't improve and in fact got worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with thus begun a four-year journey of being on high doses of antibiotics, trying different antibiotics. Uh, I was so, I, I went on to college and I was so fatigued from the Lyme disease that when I had mono, I didn't even realize I had mono because wow. I was so used to that level of fatigue. And um, ultimately what happened in a nutshell is that after those four years of being on antibiotics, I developed hypothyroidism, likely. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Lyme disease just causes a cascade inflammatory response in your body. And I had I'd seen every naturopath. I, I had just done everything I could to heal. And um, ultimately, I came to this point where I wondered if the antibiotics were potentially making me more sick. So I made the choice to go off the antibiotics and thus being like stage two of healing from mm. the Lyme disease. I had the flare up. Uh, I saw doctors who we did the testing and it didn't appear that I had active Lyme disease anymore, but rather just this flare up phenomenon. Mm. And I suffered from a slew of bacterial infections because my immune system was shot. So I yeah. had chronic strep, chronic ear infections. I'd see doctors and say, oh, you must have had chronic infections as a child. And I'd explain no. It's just these four years of yeah antibiotics. Being on antibiotics, yeah, yeah, and so the healing journey. It was about five. I went off antibiotics after four years. It was an additional five years or so to reclaim my health, and uh, I'm happy to say that I've been symptom free ever since then. So, and how did you actually manage that? Was it using supplements and various treatments through these holistic practitioners? Yeah, I think it was a combination of you know it was it was a couple things. It was a a mindset change Mm. where I had gone through some serious struggles around feeling like my body had betrayed me, feeling completely out of control, feeling hopeless. I remember going through phases wishing I had some horrible illness that was well known because Mm. I went to school in Chicago and nobody had heard of Lyme disease and the doctor's would send me to a therapist and say I was just depressed. It it just felt like this hopeless, sometimes downward spiral. And I remember even thinking after I'd been sick for so long, reflecting back on my memories of who I was pre-illness and thinking, I I thought I was this vivacious, bubbly, happy-go-lucky kid. And and maybe that isn't true. Maybe this Mm -hmm. is who I am and I'm just no longer remembering correctly. And I feared so much that I would never become that person that I remembered 
I had been. And so one of the shifts was in no longer seeing my body as the enemy and kind of taking control and empowering myself and trying to love myself as much as I despise the illness, just recognizing that I was not the illness Mm. and that I was so much more than what this illness was doing to my body. And it was, you know, when I was in um, high school and college, I wasn't taking care of myself. I was drinking a lot, even though you're not supposed to drink on antibiotics. I just was reckless and wanting to live this ordinary experience as a college student. And so I think part of the real healing came when I accepted that I wasn't normal Mm -hmm. and that I didn't have the luxury or privilege of leading a carefree health existence. And so I started to really take it seriously and eat healthy and work out and, um, and just follow all the protocols. Yeah. And I think there was, um, you know, you and I have talked about this concept of surrendering and resistance. Yeah. This one's come up for me a lot. Yeah. For sure. (laughs) I think a big part of my healing journey was stopping the resistance and the struggle. I was expending so much energy and angst and stress around trying to conquer this thing and cure it and fix it and make it better. And so kind of just on a maybe subconscious level, even not even conscious, but, but just surrendering to the fact that this was a really serious illness. And I had friends Mm -hmm. and family who were stricken with it and it wasn't going to go away overnight. And just, just hunkering down to a more longer term perspective, being grateful for every day that I woke up and I felt like I had a shred of energy to do things, feeling grateful for more positive test results, just starting to honor the path of uh, a slow journey back to health made a difference, I think. That's amazing. I mean, it's, it's rare that we hear a story now about Lyme disease where someone's lived with chronic Lyme and actually been cured. So it's very exciting to know that you're now the second person (laughs) we've had on the show who's been cured and to know that like there is that on the other side of all this and that it takes maybe 10 years, but that it's possible. Um, so much of healing has to do with mindset shift because there's a grieving process, but there's also an acceptance process and, and changing the way you see yourself is, can be very powerful if you embrace it. Yeah. And stress is linked with impairing your immune system. And, and I think when you're in the throes of an illness and just wracked with stress and helplessness and feeling miserable and then not honoring your like working out and eating healthy. And it's just, it's kind of a slippery slope into the condition potentially worsening. Mm-hmm. I, although I went through phases where I tried to be an expert on Lyme disease, it's <laughs> been a long time since those days of immersing myself in like medical research. Yeah. So I am, I am no expert, but what I do understand of it is that because it's, it's so tricky, the spirochete can be dormant it can defy testing. It can be dormant and then reactivate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know definitively if there really is any way to have like a quick light switch sense mm-hmm. of cured, but I know in myself that I haven't had any symptoms for over a decade now and I feel healthy. I feel alive. I feel better than I've ever felt in maybe yeah. my entire life. And so I guess my mm-hmm. message is partly that, that there is hope at yeah. the end of the dark tunnel. <laughs> Do you think that also there is something in you're living your life now with the knowledge that like you could have a flare up. So you take better care of yourself and you sort of treat yourself with the idea that you're going to prevent a recurrence of chronic illness. That's the kind yeah. of level of self-care we're in now. 
Yeah. You know, it's an interesting question. Uh, Lyme disease for me, I really feel at peace with that chapter Mm -hmm. and have forgiven and moved on. And it's really, it's crazy to say it because at one point in my life, I must've thought it about, thought about it a million times a day, but I don't think about it much anymore, except when I'm in nature, when I'm in situations where I know there's a chance of infection, I take every precaution possible. But, but so for me, um, I think that the intersection of the Lyme chapter and where I am today is just in this deep sense that mind, body, heart, soul, the all four quadrants need to be honored. And Mm. the body piece is an eating healthy and exercising and, and loving my body and trusting that even though I felt failed by it in the past, I know I'm so grateful for the resilience and the changes I've seen as I've gotten older that I feel strong in my body. And the mind part is in, like I said, just coming to a sense of peace and loving compassion with myself and kind of being able to navigate the tough days and then celebrating the days when I feel good. Yeah. The heart part was huge. I started, I started therapy when I was struggling with Lyme disease and it was just so helpful to honor the full spectrum of the emotions I was experiencing on the one hand, feeling like this is the end of the world. And on the other hand, feeling like, who am I to complain? Because (laughs) fortunately this isn't terminal. Um, And just coming to a better emotional awareness about the impacts. And then the soul piece is just, is the spiritual piece is, is the, I see it as honoring the deeper truths of who we are. And for me, my deepest truth is that I'm a fighter and I'm resilient and I've known struggle and I've gotten through it. And I lost that narrative a little bit in the darkest days with the Lyme disease and and Mm -hmm. I played the victim and I kind of attached to hopelessness, but coming back into owning my true sense of identity was a big piece of the healing process too. Yeah. I think that's so beautifully said. What about the word advocacy, what does that mean to you in this journey? I mean, was it something that, did you have to become your own advocate? Did you have family members that you were able to lean on or friends? I mean, it's, it's quite, that also leads to this change in who we are, doesn't it? I mean, tell us a little bit about your experience of learning to be your person. Yeah. Thank you. It's uh, Mm. such an important question. So I, like I said, in Westchester, I was, I was so fortunate and privileged to be connected with one of the leading experts on Lyme disease at the time. And he's subsequently become one of the leading experts on this concept mm-hmm. of a more chronic, longer term type of Lyme disease, which was, has been and remains quite controversial. And, and seeing him, I got the support I needed. But what happened was that when I went to college in Chicago and I was suffering through different variations on the illness, I couldn't find a doctor there who could help me. And I, I, I was told to go see a therapist that it was just depression. I was told it's in my head. I, I started to doubt. <laughs> I love it when you're told those things when you're I a know. woman in the medical system. What a surprise. Oh <laughs> yeah. And so, and I did go through phases where unfortunately I felt like, what if I made this whole thing up, even mm. though I had positive test results, maybe, maybe I don't have it anymore. I mean, the chronic piece is confusing because your test results might be inconclusive and it may not seem active, but you're suffering through all the symptoms. So I did become my own advocate when I left home and went to Chicago and tried to find a hodgepodge of different specialists because there was no Lyme disease specialist at the time that I could find. And so I saw someone for, for the fatigue. I saw someone for the thyroid issues. I saw someone to manage my antibiotics. And 
So you really created a team around yourself. Created a team. And, you know, the tragedy, I think, of our healthcare system, and and I I got the sense it's gotten a little bit better, but it's not that holistic. Mm. And that you it can feel like a needle in a haystack in getting that diagnosis. If I hadn't been fortunate to get diagnosed through this expert in New York, and I went off to school in Chicago, I may have not have ever been diagnosed with it. I might not have known to ask. I had to constantly be researching the most effective tests reading up on what the CTC criteria was. I, in that way, as I'm so, sure so many of your listeners, and I know you are, you become your own best advocate. And I mm-hmm. literally was reading medical literature with no yeah. <laughs> medical background. Well, I mean, it's so yeah. funny. I mean, everyone who I interview on the show, we all sort of joke that when you get diagnosed with chronic illness, you become a detective. You yes. research so much that in a sense, you could probably sit for the MCAT and yes. like, pass. You yes. know? <laughs> You're more knowledgeable sometimes. Yeah. Doctors. And yeah. I will say out of the darkness comes light. And I'm grateful that I had that awareness and awakening around our healthcare system. And I have suffered through some other conditions since unrelated. And I feel so much better prepared to navigate the healthcare system to seek the diverse diagnoses from different specialists and then come to my, I mean, the bottom line and, and one of the most significant silver linings of the experience was trusting my intuition. Mm. My intuition was so spot on from the beginning with this. I knew something was deeply wrong with me. I didn't agree with some of the doctors in Chicago and I was young and and I was seeking external validation and, and I didn't trust myself in certain moments, but every part of the journey of seeing the different specialists of seeking, going to some naturopaths who unfortunately I didn't have a good vibe with. And I felt mm. like they were suggesting I spent thousands of dollars on supplements when it didn't feel right in me. And I went ahead and I spent a fortune on these. The, the, the dangerous place is people who maybe have been intentions, but when you are absolutely hopeless and all you want is a silver bullet, you will spend a lot of money yeah. on the silver bullet. And so one of the other lessons for me was there is no silver bullet. There's no mm-hmm. one pill that's going to cure this thing. And for so many of these chronic illnesses, it is just a more holistic approach to finding health mm. out of it. So what does a typical day look like for you now, now that you're on the <laughs> other side of it and, and yet, you know, living a healthy lifestyle, trying to avoid the recurrence of chronic yes. illness. What does a day in the life of Jenna look like? Yes. Thank you for that question. So mm. first of all, as you, and I'm sure so many of your viewers feel, I never take my health for granted. I mm. am so grateful every day I feel good in my body and I'm healthy is such a gift. And that is something that I'll never lose from this experience. So I have that kind of in the back of my mind often. I typically work out, which is something I gravitated towards later in life. I used to see working out as such a chore. I played soccer year round and it was one of my greatest passions in life, but I tore my ACL and and I got sick with Lyme disease and it unfortunately I kind of just gave up and Mm. walked away from it. And I, I never played again after that. Um, but aside from soccer, I never really found a passion in physical activity. And then Soul Cycle was my gateway. Ah. <laughs> I hated the first class. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And I yeah. didn't like the, the noise and the seeming competitiveness. But I very quickly grew to love it. And it got me through a very difficult personal chapter. And mm. it got me into such good shape. I was actually able to just go running. I, I was able to run 10 miles without even training for it. Wow. So that journey to growing to love working out started about three years ago. Mm. So that's a big part of my daily life. I love to journal. 
and meditate to try to access those deeper parts of me that can get lost beneath the churn and the day to day. Yeah. I find my work extremely fulfilling and it lights me up and activates me in a way that I, I didn't have a sense of purpose perhaps in school. I, when I was in college and I was sick, I was very external validated validation focused. And I Mm. strive for those A's and those positive marks, but I don't know if I had a true sense of purpose, like aligned with my authentic self when I was in school. And um, the interesting thing too is, and there are analogies I think with conquering this illness is I, like many high-performing women, I suffered from imposter syndrome. Yeah, And so that's like a whole other element. A whole other layer. (laughs) A whole other layer. But when I was sick in school and I managed to graduate with honors Mm. from Northwestern, which is a very competitive school. Um, but the times that I didn't do well, I, I never told my teachers that I was sick with a chronic illness. I didn't ask for any accommodations. I, I just trudged through it. And I thought it was something that I, a weight that I was meant to bear alone. Mm. I didn't seek support because I felt that it was so isolating. And I think in many ways it is extremely isolating to be young, to be seemingly healthy on the surface and to be suffering one of these invisible illnesses and I know that I was a psych major undergrad, so I can never escape from it. But I, I know there's a known <laughs> phenomenon that when you're seen as down and sick, people tend to push you away because it's not necessarily a conscious thing, but they just, they don't want to, they feel like they'll get brought down too. And so mm. what I have in me today is such an incredibly supportive community of friends and family and, and peers and just trust in not hiding away any parts of me that the shame that I felt around this illness, the inadequacy, the feeling like something was deeply wrong with me. Yes, there was something deeply wrong with my health, but it didn't mean that there was something wrong with who I am as a person. And, and it so didn't mean was it was the, your fault. And it didn't mean it was my fault. Yeah. yeah, of course I went through that. I think we all want to have a sense of control. And so we beat ourselves up, but mm-hmm. I guess for me in a way, I didn't succumb too much to blaming myself because I was a kid and again, there just wasn't a huge awareness around this. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So you mentioned, you know, that you did have those experiences where people told you it was all in your head and didn't believe you. Can you walk us through any of those particular memories that, that perhaps are more prevalent for you now, um, where you were confronted and like forced to justify the fact that you were living with an illness that you knew very well to be true, but nobody else could see? Yeah. Um, well, one really powerful experience was that I did see a therapist and I was very defensive and feeling wounded and feeling victim mode and, and just saying, I have this awful illness and I'm so tired all the time. And I saw a doctor and the doctor wasn't familiar with it. And he suggested I see a therapist and maybe it is all in my head. Maybe this is something I'm creating. Maybe I just want out, like, just give me mm. a ticket out, whatever it is. If it's therapy, I'll do it. If it's a drug, I'll take it. Like, I just was so desperate. Mm. And I remember she said to me, this isn't depression. Anyone who has experienced a chronic illness and these trials and tribulations that you've been going through, yes, would be depressed. But you know, from what I can tell you, you're not suffering from clinical depression. This isn't depression causing symptoms. It's your symptoms of Lyme disease are causing you to feel mm-hmm. depressed. And I think that, you know, again, I was, I was, I didn't have a strong enough sense of myself. I think I needed that external validation for her to say, yeah. okay, it isn't just in my head. I'm not crazy. 
Yeah. I'm not but it's such it. a gift as well. When a <laughs> practitioner gives us the gift of validation. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, there is something in, do we ever need validation because we probably have to seek to find it within ourselves. However, yeah. I think in situations like this where they're multifactorial and um, systemic issues as well, getting someone to actually be on your side can be a revelation. Yes. And what happens is when you get that external validation, you feel in you, it's like the movie Inside Out, where you have a a panel of emotions or a panel of peeps. It was like my inner peeps were like, hell yeah, it's not in your head. I told you so. I knew all along. It kind of just emboldened and activated and empowered those deeper truths in Mm. me that knew all along that this is a serious illness that it also was, it was kind of a fascinating time to be in my early twenties, late, uh, you know, like 1920, navigating the healthcare system and seeing these doctors and having a kind of falling from grace or falling from pencil effect where I had seen doctors as these like gods and smarter mm-hmm. than me. And I just came to understand that a lot of them don't know what they're talking about. They, a lot of times when doctors don't know, instead of saying, I don't know, they tell you, oh, it's in your head or, oh, this is just who you are or, oh, you had active Lyme disease, but now it's over, like get over it. Mm. And so it was kind of this fascinating awakening that's really served me well since then that authority figures don't necessarily know what's best for you. They don't always have the answers and it's hard, but sometimes you have to do your best to find the answers for yourself Mm. and to keep going through the healthcare system until you find that person who resonates for you, where you feel like you can be your honest, authentic, vulnerable self and they see you and they listen to you and they validate you and they help you heal and they help you on your path. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that team of people that you manage to ring around yourself, you know, that can make all the difference when you're really looking for help and looking for answers, having the right people on your team. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So to, uh, oh, yeah, I can say ahead. one more thing too is Obviously, resources are a big part of this. It's extremely expensive to navigate these types of illnesses. A lot of it isn't covered. I spent a fortune on Mm -hmm. Lyme disease treatments and seeing doctors. But to the extent you're able to pay a little extra, if it means seeing a top expert, if it means going out of network for one appointment, whatever it might be, if you're able to afford it, don't ever hesitate to do it because you think you don't deserve it or because you think it's too much or because, oh, who am I? I have, you know, this medium level condition and there are people who are way worse than me who Mm. should be seeing these top experts. Like don't hold back, seek the best that you can afford and don't doubt it for a second that you deserve it. Yeah. That's such solid advice for everyone tuning in. So what about these experiences in the medical system? I'm wondering whether you were aware at any point of an experience of perhaps privilege, you know, with being able to like go to some of these appointments and afford them and have access to them in the places you were living. Um, or even prejudice, you know, being a woman and being told it's all in your head. Can you see maybe your circumstances having been different if you presented otherwise, like maybe if you had been a woman of color, you would have been less likely to be believed. Or, you know, if you'd been a white man, if everyone would have been like, we believe you in every office you went into. You know, how has that influenced your experience in terms of understanding the experience of others? Yeah, it's such a good question. All of the above for certain, I feel so grateful and fortunate for the accident of birth that Mm -hmm. I, I was able to see 
doctors that people saw me and they didn't question that I could have contracted Lyme disease. I could imagine if the circumstances were different and maybe I was a person of color or came from a different community that they might not even go to Lyme disease thinking, well, does this person spend time outside? I mean, I, mm. I, you know, the thing that's unfortunate about our healthcare system is that humans are flawed and humans carry prejudices and uh, unconscious biases and it plays out in their everyday life as much training as they might get. I think there are ways that you can really be pigeonholed and not served mm. in the healthcare experience. So I, I, and yeah, as a woman, I, I suspect that men or boys or teenagers aren't told it's in your head. You're just depressed. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen statistics on that, but I imagine it's significantly disproportionately affecting girls and women. Yeah. And absolutely. it stems from that history, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but I mean, there was a time when women were diagnosed with quote hysteria. And Thanks for bringing that one up. Yeah, that's my favorite. Psychiatric <laughs> yeah. institutions, which P.S. any of us growing up during those times would have probably been suffering from hysteria. But, yeah. you know, I think that's a legacy of our healthcare system is a lot of these seemingly outrageous, antiquated processes, you know, using leeches, just insane things today that we look back on. It was kind of relatively recent history. Yeah, And I love it that you're asking this question and that you and your community are so attuned to it because I think that's too where the advocate piece comes in is if you see a doctor and you're sensing any of this, educating them mm-hmm. about, you know, ways that they might be, they might have blinders on or maybe even active prejudices that are impacting them from serving their clients. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell us how your experience, I mean, I, I'm hearing a lot of how your experience has influenced your work just because I know you. (laughs) You and I have had such rich conversations. But for those who are unfamiliar with working with you, you know, um, how have these experiences informed your practice in coaching and the influence that something like life coaching has had on your life as someone who survived as a chronic illness patient? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think I think one of the biggest things that came out of this was out of darkness comes light. And, um, my coaching Instagram account is moonlight musings from the haiku barns burnt down. Now I see the moon Mm -hmm. and it's pretty common that out of crises, when everything burns to the ground, your health, your relationships, your job, your money, when you lose these things that you thought were so integral to who you are and, and what you need to survive, when you lose it all, you're left standing with yourself. And it's this inflection point where whether consciously or not, really the only option is to love yourself and to step into your truth and to start treating yourself with the compassion that you maybe have been lacking from others. And that experience from Lyme disease was formative for me as were other challenges that I went through post Lyme disease. And it really has impacted my passion and purpose in coaching in that the goal of coaching is to hold a mirror to individuals truths and strengths and gifts and unique geniuses and wisdom to help them shed all these layers that haven't been serving them all these layers that we internalize that society tells us we're too this we're too that or too emotional or you know all these ways that we mistrust ourselves coaching is about peeling away those layers helping bolster a sense of trust and I think that it is so purposeful for me because 
I've personally been so impacted by this concept of stepping into your authentic self. And then I see how it impacts clients. And the last thing I will say is there's an exercise that's very powerful that I love to do with clients. And I did apply it with myself. And that is to imagine the suffering ill version of you, how, if it's the present day version of you, if it's a child version of you, however old you are, and have her sit next to you and visualize holding her hand and visualize or say to her or journal what you feel about her and what she's been through and how strong she is and resilient and the pain and the grief and the anger and frustration and feeling like an outcast, whatever surfaces just to have that space to honor that part of you Mm. can be really powerful. So not to deny it, not to deny it. Yes. Mm. Denial is like, a toddler on the verge of a tantrum. If you deny or ignore that toddler, they are going to have a massive meltdown. So Mm. honor the emotions, invite them all in. It feels scary at first, but you always feel a sense of lightness once you've allowed it to flow through you. I love that. So we're sort of flying into the end of the interview here. And I I like to wrap up my interviews with a couple of top three lists and I hope you will participate with me. I'm wondering what given the experience you've had and the healing that you've experienced, what your top three tips would be for someone who is in this chronic illness world, living with invisible chronic illness, mm-hmm. what would you recommend to them aside from this wonderful journaling and visualization yeah. practice? You know, <laughs> what are your top three nuggets of advice? Um, one is trust your instincts. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't clear on what your inner voice, your intuition, your instincts are, take some time if possible to do self-guided meditation, to journal, to We all have it within us as it might feel like a whisper. It might be hard to hear, but it's there and it won't lead you astray. Mm. Um, And if someone's speaking against your instincts and your truths, you might feel inside of you almost like a mutiny, an outrage. And that's another clue that something's Mm. not right. So one is trust your instincts. Two is be your own best advocate. Do not trust the medical experts or anyone else to figure out what's best for you. These illnesses are often not one size fits all and what works for one person might not work for you. And the third thing I'd say is never lose sight of hope that Mm -hmm. this too shall pass. And maybe it just means you'll have some good days interspersed with the bad. Maybe you'll come out on the other side like me and feel like you've been cured, whatever it looks like for you. Just know that nothing ever lasts forever. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel for all Mm -hmm. of us. I love that. Well, it's very much ties into your your haiku that you turn to. You know, <laughs> yes. barns burn down. Now I can see the moon that there's yes. always something. Something may have to burn down, but there's something positive on the other yes. side of that. Too. And there's also that quote about finding within me in the midst of winter that I have an invincible summer. Uh, I'm butchering mm. it a little bit, but that out of these challenges, we are able to see our strengths and resilience and it's totally badass and it's something to celebrate for certain. Mm, I love that. All right. Last top three list, top three things that give you unbridled joy. So things that, you know, you may have made lifestyle adjustments, right? Since your (laughs) diagnosis, but things that you're absolutely unwilling to give up. So this could be guilty pleasures, secret indulgences, comfort activities, just things that give you joy, make you happy. What are those top three for you? 
One is getting moving and working out, running, yoga, spinning, whatever it is. It's, it's such an important part of who I am. And I'm shocked when I think back on all those years that I didn't work out at all. I don't know how I survived because it's just <laughs> this boost of energy for me that I carry throughout my day to our connections. I am what's known as a super connector. I, I feel like I cultivate this garden of beautiful friends and family and colleagues and um, just love being able to see life through their filters and gain mm. perspective and wisdom from those relationships. And three is travel, although mm. it is of course limited, somewhat limited these days with this yeah, quarantine, <laughs> but I, yeah, I had the good fortune of traveling around the world in college and I mm. took a travel sabbatical for several months and I find there's nothing like travel that it just activates all my senses. It exposes me to different ways of living. I love food. So there's mm. that element too. So that's one of my greatest joys is, is travel. And I'm now focusing on doing a fantasy trip for 2021 so I can keep that part of me activated. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's such a great use of energies right now too. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yummy. Can you tell everyone where they can find you and your work? Yes. Thank you. I am at jennachieco.com. It's G-E-N-A-C-H-I-E-C-O.com. My Instagram account is moonlight underscore musings underscore and I'm on LinkedIn as well. And I welcome any questions, any outreach. I'm, I'd love to talk to anyone who's a member of this incredible community. Yay. Jenna, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been such an honor to give you a platform to share your story. And I'm just so grateful to have you in my life and to yes, connect. It's mutual. It's yes. such an honor and a privilege and a joy. I have a massive smile on my face. I know. <laughs> thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. And you thank too. you for everything you're doing and shining a light in these important issues. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.